and glad to be with you all tonight. I have been preaching the last several weeks through 1 John, and so my mind has been there a lot lately, and I thought maybe I'd have you open up to 1 John chapter 1. Let's read verse 5 through the end of the first chapter of 1 John. I'm reading from the ESV. This is the message we have heard from Him. John speaking. This is what he heard from Christ. And proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Well, let's pull some thoughts out of here. Uh, Verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And you know what strikes me about that is that that thought, John, I mean, as John is coming into this letter, one of the primary things he wants to bring out right at the beginning is that God is light. But notice what he says about this message, God is light. He says... This is the message we've heard from Him. And you know what's interesting? If you comb all through the Gospel of John, you'll never find that. Now, that doesn't mean that that in the Gospel of John you can't find anything about light or about Christ being light. But can you think of any place in the Gospel of John where we are told that God is light? And in fact, none none of the Gospels share that fact directly with us. And yet, I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know. I mean, we might assume that God is light, but the truth is actually expressed for us right here. The way we know God is light is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light. And notice, He's not just mentioning this in, a, in any kind of casual fashion. He has an agenda. He's arguing for something. He's arguing that Christianity is based on who God is. And notice that with me. Notice notice what's going on in these verses. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Okay, why is He bringing that up? Well, because verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all... I, I mean. 
notice the similarities in these. They each start with if. Even seven in the original starts with if. These are all conditional statements being made here. If one thing is true, then another thing is true. Each one of these is, is constructed that way. And you'll notice that verse 6 is describing the deceived. All of these have to do with professing Christians. One is true, one is fake. That's what all these five verses have to do with here. In verse 6, you have darkness. In verse 7, you have light. In verse 8, you have darkness again. In verse 9, you have light again. And in 10, darkness. That's the, that's the, the way he's ordered this. He goes back and forth between these. And, and you see what he's doing? is He's introducing the fact that God is light. D- did you ever recognize Christianity is not just random? W- what the Christian is... God didn't just say, well, you know, I've got to create Christians some way, and so He just started picking these things out of the air. Well, I'll make them this way or that way. What a Christian is, is is a direct reflection on what God is. And you notice in 1 John, John does this three times. He does it once right here in verse 5. He tells us God is light. If you jump over real fast to 1 John 2, verse 29, you'll see that He does this again. If you know that He, God, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You see, based on the fact that God is light, that tells us something about what the Christian is going to be like. Right here, based on the fact that God is righteous, then that also tells us something about what it is to be a Christian. And if you jump over again to chapter 4, verse 8, you'll see this again. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You notice, he does this three times in 1 John. He draws on on these realities about the character of God. God is light. God is righteousness. Or God is righteous. And God is love. And therefore, what a true Christian is flows out of that. It's a reflection of that. That's what's happening here. God's character determines what the Christian is going to be like. And and notice this. There's nothing about these verses here in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. There's, There's nothing here that is evangelistic. In other words, John is not calling the guy that's in darkness to come to the light. What you have going on here is he's just he's giving us the the distinction. There's just the fundamental distinction between the true Christian and the fake Christian. That's what's happening here. It's no call to the lost man to come over. It's no call to the deceived man. That doesn't mean we can't do that. But you just notice here, in these verses, he has an agenda. He's arguing for something. He's arguing that based on the character of God, based on the person of God, we can tell what true Christianity will look like. True Christianity 
has to be what it is because of who God is. That's what he's saying to us. That's, that's where he's headed. There, there are moral implications that arise out of the character of God. That's where he's going with all this. God's character forbids... You now sometimes we talk about this, this carnal Christian heresy, but the character of God forbids a Christianity that is loveless, that lacks righteousness, and it forbids a Christianity, an un, it forbids an ungodly Christianity. It forbids a Christianity of those who walk in darkness. God's character forbids that. We need to forget our own ideas about what Christianity ought to be. Man loves to think about what he wants Christianity to be. You know, we live in the midst of a world, it's not surprising. What does the world want Christianity to be? I mean, what, by and large, what does the natural man want Christianity to be? Exactly what he tells us here, it is not. Right? I mean, people who profess to have fellowship, that's what verse 6 says. They profess to have fellowship with God. They, what does that mean? That's talking about, I have a relationship with Him. I know God. I mean, the thing that distinguishes the true Christian in both the verses where they come up is it's got cleansing. But you can't see that. You can't see the cleansing of the blood. You can't see that there's forgiveness. It's not stamped on our foreheads. What's interesting about all of these is based on the reality, if something is true that we can see, then something is true that is not so observable. That's what's happening in each of these five statements here. The world wants a Christianity that says, I've got cleansing, I've got forgiveness, I'm not going to hell, and I can walk in darkness. I mean, it's not surprising that that's what he goes after because that's exactly the kind of Christianity the world wants. That's the kind of Christianity the world fights for. I mean, there are multitudes of books fighting for that kind of Christianity. And yet, despite what the natural man wants to argue for, we see what, what John tells us, that we have to start with God. Isn't that the truth about everything? We have to start with God. Man, man gets pushed to the back here. Let's start with God. Everything flows from that. I mean, you just think about the commandments of God, the commandments of Christ. Those aren't random. Have you ever thought about that? What God wants from us is not random. He didn't just pick it up. He didn't just say, well, you know, I've got to have some rules and some laws for my people, so here's some things. They're all reflections of who He is. I mean, I, you go out and you look at the sunset. Ev literally everything is a reflection of who God is. Everything. You go out and look at the beautiful sunset. Or you look at, you look at the, the flowers. But I got to thinking about this. You know, we like to think of the beautiful things. But I got to thinking about dirt. Even if you look at dirt, it tells you about who God is. That, that, have you ever thought about how amazing dirt is? 
You can plant things in it and it grows. I was thinking Charles just down, you know, he was talking about the things that get purified. I mean, you probably have all heard that message. He, what gets stuck in the refiner's fire? He was talking about gold and silver and precious things. And you've heard that message. And he said, you don't put dirt in there. And that's true. Dirt, by and large, is not precious to us. But have you ever thought about how amazing it really is? It is a reflection of God. I, I was thinking, you just go into... Have you ever thought about the very first miracle that Jesus Christ did? He changed water into wine. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? Why? Why that? Well, it's a reflection of God. We start there. That's what John's doing. He's saying, look, if you want to define Christianity, if you want to look at what real Christianity is, we don't start with man's opinions about what Christianity ought to be. Look at who God is. It's kind of like what, what God is, who God is, determines what Christianity has to be. As I was thinking about it, I thought, the, the thought that came to my mind was the moon. The moon has to shine. Now, we don't always see the shine, but it always is shining, right? So, I mean, if you've got the right angle and the right perspective on the moon, it's always shining. Why does the moon have to shine? I mean, tell me. Why does it have to shine? Yeah, because of the sun. You see, the sun indicates that the, that the moon has to shine. And it's the same kind of thing. I read, you might find flaws if you tear that one apart far enough. But... Ungodly Christianity is impossible because God shines. God is light. And notice this. I mean, if, if we say, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. We lie. You know, it's not like it's an innocent mistake. John doesn't count it as that. It's a lie. It's... it's uh, it's like it's a conscious, deliberate lie. But let's think about this, walking in darkness. You know the problem with the problem with that expression, not that there is any problem with it, it's truth, but the problem is with us when we hear that expression. I mean you just you just dive into the Proverbs and you get some Proverbs like this, sixteen two. All the ways of a man can you finish that? Our, yeah, you've got a you've got a proverb sixteen two that says pure in his own eyes twenty one two right in his own eyes thirty verse twelve clean in their own eyes but they're not washed of their filth. You see, that's the problem, and my burden has been this: I recognize whether it's here in Kirksville or down in San Antonio. Our Lord said, we are going to have the wheat and the tares together. We are going to have Judases and Demases and Hymenaeuses and Alexanders and Simon the Magicians. I mean, we're going to have these people in the church. But you know, you know what historically we've seen? 
We've seen religious people get snatched out of that deception. We have. God, God has been merciful to bring some out. And I, I've been thinking, how, how can we... I, I recognize ultimately God has to open those eyes. But it's not like what we say doesn't, doesn't count or doesn't mean anything. God uses those means. And I've, I've thought, how can, how can we try to discover these people? If we say we know God, if we say we have a relationship with God, but we walk in the darkness, but if our, if our innate problem is men and women, is that we're always right in our own eyes. We're always pure in our own eyes. We're always clean in our own eyes. How are we going to discover these people? We walk in darkness. Well, you know one of the things about a guy that's clean in his own eyes is he doesn't admit to it. He doesn't see it. That doesn't... He, he doesn't... Um, Darkness. Well, it just sounds dark. And we don't want to admit dark. We don't want to admit wickedness. We don't want to admit evil. So what is this? What is this darkness? And, you know, as you look at these verses, you just watch this flow. You really have three verses of darkness here and two of light. Six, eight, and ten you have this darkness. Seven and nine, we have light. And you watch the way he progresses. God is light. In him is no darkness. As we move through here, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. But notice this. He says, he doesn't say, and we, we don't walk in the light. He says, we don't practice the truth. You notice he begins to move from light. You'll watch this transition as you go down through here. He, he sort of flows from light to truth to His Word. You do not practice the truth if you walk in the darkness. He talks then in 7 about walking in the light. But in 8, the truth again is not in us. Confession. Confe- that, that's interesting. Confession is saying the same thing as God. It's speaking like He speaks about our sins. Again, it's, it's affirming the truth about our sins. It's affirming what He says in His Word. And then... You know, you jump there from the end of 8, the truth is not in us, to the end of verse 10, His Word is not in us. What is it to walk in darkness? It's to walk in error. It's to walk in deceit. It's to walk in deception. It's to not walk in the truth. It's to not have the truth abiding in you. And he goes over to the Word. It's not... To have His Word abiding in you. The Word is not abiding in you. That's that's a good... You know, if we want to find somebody out, His Word is not abiding in them. Think about that. Think about your relationship with the Word of God. I mean, when when you were converted... Was there a change there? Did your relationship with the Word of God drastically change? I mean, is your your life... Ask yourself this. See, this, 
this is key. There is a, there's life and death found in these verses. And it's our life and our death. I mean, you can't sit back and say, you know, you can't, you can't just be a spectator with these verses. Now, I know there might be some specific error, perfectionism or something that develops here in these verses. But you either walk in the light or you walk in the darkness. There are two categories. And this pertains to us. We can't sit back and be spectators. This isn't like you go to a football game and you watch what goes on down in the field. You're down there. And you're on one side or the other. And how, how do we tell this apart? Well, where does the Word of God fall out in your life? Is your life regulated by the Word of God? I mean, is that your desire? Is that... <clears throat> you see, Jesus said this. Did He not say that He is the light of the world and that if we follow Him, we won't walk in the darkness? But what is it to follow Christ? Well, it would be... I remember... <clears throat> I, have a, I have a friend, Craig Musselman, who moved his family down to San Antonio. But at one time, he and I lived up in Michigan. I remember, I remember one Wednesday going to the church building up there. We had a blizzard, and the snow was really deep. And I saw Craig out there, and he was wading through the snow. <clears throat> it was really deep. And he had, a, he had a little girl, Kelsey. And she was trying to jump from one footstep of her dad's to the next in the snow. You guys get good snow here. We don't get much in San Antonio, so I haven't seen it in a while. But it, here she was, and she was taking these huge steps trying to stay in her... And I'm thinking about just walking behind Christ, and we're imitating, and we're looking to Him in faith, and we're imitating. We walk in the light. And you know what Jesus said, right? In John 4, He's... He said, my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me. This, this finds us out as much as anything. What is the walk of your life? You remember, this has to do with the walk, the practice, the, the habitual lifestyle. Does your lifestyle right now originate with the will of God? Is it the... Is it does His Word abide in you? Does that regulate your life? Is that what you're living for? Are you, are you living as one who is not your own? You've been bought with a price. Or, or do you find this? Do you find that basically you do what you want to do and you hope it lines up with God's Word and where it does, you're happy. Where it doesn't, you kind of you justify, you dig your heels in, you kind of ignore it, you talk it away. You, I mean... This, this finds us out. And you know what else he says there in verse 6? He says, and you do not practice the truth. Now we don't talk that way. <clears throat> do you guys talk that way? I mean, do, do you folks in Kirksville, when's the last time any of you seeking to counsel or exhort or just have Christian fellowship, when's the last time you asked somebody else, have you been practicing the truth? We don't use that terminology. Why? I mean, it's biblical. Practice the truth. We, we think about speaking the truth, but, but not practicing the truth. And, and you know, what it makes me think is every motive, every ambition, 
every intention, every act that we do, it's undergirded by truth or error. Every single thing we do. Think about that. Think about the truth or the lies behind what you do with your life. And you know, as I was thinking about this, you know one thing that I've wrestled with since I've been a Christian almost 25 years is sports. And, and I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I was addicted, chronically addicted to sports when I was lost. And so now as a Christian, it's been, and you know, I happen to live in a city that has a basketball team that tends to win world championships repeatedly, and, it's, and we have a pro soccer player living with me now, and it's, you know, and my, I have a son who plays in sports, and uh, I, I, used to, I used to live in Michigan, so there were all the teams up there. And now I move, live in Texas, and there's all the teams there. And how do, you, how do you sort out what's right, what's wrong, what's legitimate, what's not legitimate, what, what a Christian ought to be involved with, what not? And you know, this is, a, this is a great principle. Well, what is it that I believe about it? What, is it, what are the undergirding truths? Am I buying into a lie? If I give myself to it. I mean, this, I think this, with everything in life, we can look at this. What is it that I really believe about this thing? And the life of the Christian is this. We live a life that is guided by the Word of God abiding in us. And it's no longer... Look, we see these Christians. We see, I see this pastorally. There's a handful of people that are in our church that they come all the time, but I watch them. I'm, I'm almost certain they're lost. And they come and they're, they're just... It doesn't seem like their life is bound to the Word of God. That it starts with the Word of God. That it starts in the will of God. You remember how Peter talks about living, living the rest of the time in our flesh, in our bodies, not in these these desires of the flesh, but rather the will of God. And that's really, you know what? That distinguishes the false Christian from the true. And you remember, these verses here are not speaking about just the pagan lost guy. These verses here are speaking about professing Christians. He's distinguishing between the true Christian who professes to be and the false Christian who professes to be. One is guided by their desire. One is guided by God's will. That doesn't mean the true Christian isn't guided by desire to do God's will. It's a desire for God's will over against the, the desires of the flesh. And, the, and look, when they're professing Christians and they park themselves in the church, they, just, they don't just dogmatically deny Scripture. But it's, they're, never at, they're never at rest. They're always fighting. They fight the rebukes of the brethren. They fight the word. They squirm. In fact, you know, you know what this reminds me of is Chara Washer. Because she, not only was she affected by 1 John down there in San Antonio, but it, she was affected by 1 John. By, these, by, by this very kind of dogmatism of John, she would squirm. 
And my appeal is to you that squirm. You're just, you're not at rest. I mean, you know, look, ask yourself this. The godliest people here in this church in Kirksville, you, you, you don't, you don't find the greatest fellowship with them. You know in verse 7, you almost expect, well, if you walk in the darkness, you don't have fellowship with God. But if you walk in the light, you expect you do have fellowship with God. It's interesting. John so often does not hit us with what we expect. He says, you know, you have fellowship with one another. Well, that's interesting. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship with the others that are in the light. But think, you that... Look, your soul is at stake. Let these verses find you out. It's better to be found out and let the light shine. But if, if you are uneasy, things like this are uneasy, they make you feel uneasy. A lot of people, they feel this way. When they read things like 1 John, they feel uneasy. But they go over to the other side and they say, well, walk in darkness evil, wicked, I, oh, that just, you know, I, I have problems seeing that the biblical definition of Christianity describes me, but when I go over to the other extreme, well, I don't think I'm so bad that I, that I deserve hell, or I just, that my life isn't that bad. Look, Charo squirmed for a long time, but I'll tell you this, God did not save her until she quit justifying herself. And there may be some of you that are like that. You squirm and you justify yourself and you're living on this empty hope. Don't keep going down that path. Because even though, even though th these verses are not an evangelistic call to you, even though what John's doing here is he's, he's, he's showing us these fundamental differences between the fake Christian and the true Christian, let me tell you, if, if, if you go to verse 9, confessing our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, ask yourself. Ask yourself this. You know, John, John tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. And you just think about this. If God's Word abides in you, they won't be burdensome. In other words, if His Word has found a place inside you, from within. But if God's commandments just seem rigid, they seem like they're outside all the time, you just seem like you chafe under them all the time, you've got this list of rules and, and, and you feel like, oh, I don't want to go to hell, but these things, that you do chafe under them and they are burdensome. Then be honest. And look, come into that light. You come into that light and it finds your sin out. Yeah, you can say, I love my sin, and you want to run right back out of the light, and you say, I, I just, look, I want the kind of Christianity where I can have my sin. I want to do it my way. I want to live my way. I want my, I want my thing. You know what? Some of you have that. You have that thing. You have those, that idol or idols. 
And you're holding them. You come out in the light, they get exposed. And you can do that. You can just run right back into the darkness. But you know, oh, think about it. Think about, think about that tax collector. A wicked man. But he came into the light. Oh, if you come into the light with bowed head and the tears running down, and you confess your sin, you might feel like, you know, oh, God's just going to strike me dead. But that's not what He found. That's not what's promised here. What's promised here is, yes, the light exposes. But if you surrender yourself in the light, what do you find? I mean, you're going to find that all of it is cleansed away. But you know, as, as I've been hitting on these messages at home, I'm finding, I, I know there are those people that sit among us and they're unsettled. They're just unsettled. They know something isn't right. And maybe they don't tell anybody, maybe not even their own spouses or their closest friends or the pastors. But there's a gnawing thing, just like it was with Charles. Just, it's gnawing. You're, you're uneasy. Look, if you come into the light, if you come to Him, He says He won't cast you out. There's, if you confess those sins, He's promising here the cleansing. He's promising that there's forgiveness, that those sins will be washed away. Don't continue on in a false profession. Look, darkness, darkness, darkness. Where are you at with your relationship with the Word of God? What is, your, is your life regulated by it? Do you have a love for it? Do you go to God's Word and you want to be guided by it? You want to start there. Lord, show me. Show me how to live my life. Or is it... No, you kind of... You, you know, you, you can get a wife who is totally lost, totally a feminist, and, and 85% of the time, 80% of the time, she can be in harmony with a husband. Because she's just, she's, they're in agreement. They're okay. I mean, don't look at your life and say, you know, I don't murder and I don't run around in the bars. Yeah, but that's just maybe because it suits you. That may not be because you're a new creation. It's just, it's, you want to do life your way and that, that fits in your way. But do you find that God's will, you really want to be guided by it? I mean, ask yourself this. If you could just find out tonight, I, I stood up here on, on some credible authority. You had some, some good uh, idea to think that I came directly from God with this message that I have good news for you. There's no hell. There's no hell. And you can just live here the rest of your life and have your sin would that be good news to you? I mean, if, if the Jehovah's Witnesses were right, would that be good news to you? You can just, you know, you can miss hell and you can just have life here and you can just... I mean, for the Christian, that's not. I really want, oh, I long for the day when there will be no more sin and I will 
perfectly do His will all the time. I wouldn't want to stay here and just have my own way. I want to be with Christ and I want to be submitted to Him. And I want to behold Him. And I want to be where I will never sin again. And I want to be where righteousness dwells. His Word. Is there a sweetness? You know, you go back to Charo. She, she said in those days, reading, reading the Bible was, you know, it was a... It was kind of a thing on her checklist that you had to do. I'm not saying there aren't some days where you, you kind of have to be disciplined. But is there a sweetness here? Not just that you cart a Bible around, but there's a sweetness in it and, and it conforms your life. I mean, do you find that you go to God's Word and He shows you there's a part of your life that is out of conformity and now you're going to seek to do that? Does His Word abide in you? If it doesn't, don't you don't want to just keep going down that path. You want, to, you want to come out into that light and you want to just unload that before the Lord and be honest and confess these things. And oh, there is great mercy. There is forgiveness to be had. Father, I, I just I pray, Lord, that Your Word would indeed find, find us out. Lord, I pray that none, none of those that are professing Christ here would just run headlong into hell when all the warning signs were there. And Lord, I, I pray that You would open some eyes and melt some hearts and that they might just flee into the arms of Christ. It's in His name we pray, amen.